With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. To Robbie Keane by Reed. Warnock's touch. Sees it spin away as fast as Eric Edmund. Edmund now from distance. Oh, sensational! He will never have hit one quite like that before. Eric Edmund, with his first premiership goal for Spurs, has silenced Anfield. That is an absolutely astonishing strike here by Eric Edmund. It looked as if Keane and Reid had messed the corner up. Try to take it short. It lands at Edmund. I don't know. We're talking over 35 yards here. We must be. Hits this left-footed. It is an absolutely sensational strike. Best goal I've seen from distance this season. Absolutely no question about that. Dude, absolutely no chance whatsoever. Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you're all keeping well. We hope you're all keeping safe. And we have to say a massive thank you for continuing to download The Last Word on Spurs during this difficult, unprecedented times as we continue to fight and to battle COVID-19. Now, if you've been listening to The Last Word on Spurs over this last month or two, we've had the absolute pleasure of being joined by a number of former Spurs players, lots of them from the Martin Yole period at the club, and we've gone and got ourselves another player that played under Martin Yole. Before we announce who we've got, I'm delighted to welcome back to this show with me, John from Lily White Rose. John, how are you? Hello, Ricky. Yeah, doing really well. And um, yeah, really excited for another show tonight with another uh, great player from the, the Martin Yole era, as you said. And, a, and a, a player that will be held fondly for his time at the club with, with a lot of our supporters. So we're really looking forward to hearing from him tonight. Yes. Now, we're delighted to welcome a fullback who used to play for Spurs under the Martin Yole era. I think he's made a very, very good impression during his time at the club. So we're very pleased and humbled to have Eric Edmund joining us on The Last Word on Spurs. Eric, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, Eric. It's our pleasure. And it's only right to ask you, how are you and the family coping during this period of real lockdown and you know this is the crazy time we find ourselves in at the moment i think we are a bit softer uh that our approach uh, is a bit softer than than yours over in the uk i think and uh life's pretty much 
uh, normal uh, except for yeah social distancing and uh, no football and and uh, yeah a couple other things obviously but but uh, pretty much uh, yeah back to normal over here yeah i joked with you eric uh, off air that the show for us we've had a bit of time to not talk about spurs during actually playing games it's been nice to have a break and to be able <laughs> to interview players and talk about them for for you know for a period so it's a real pleasure to have you on the show and we'll start with the very beginning of your career if we may you know you started your career in sweden with helsingborgs you then went on to make 61 appearances for your first club prior to moving to serie a with Torino and then to Germany with Karlsruhe's SC before moving back to Sweden to join in AIK. Um, after just one season back in Sweden, you joined Dutch side Heronveen. You had seen a lot of Europe at a very young age, to be fair, Eric. How was that seen as an experience for you and for your football development? And at what age did you sign for your first professional club? Actually, I, I come from a small, small uh, local amateur club uh, in the middle of Sweden uh, before. And then I joined Helsingborg when I was uh, 15. Um, Played for them for five years and then uh, went to, to Torino. Obviously, back then, Serie A was uh, yeah, pretty much what uh, Premiership is today, I reckon. Uh, the best league, the, the best players. Uh, maybe at the time it was uh, yeah, a, b- a bit too big the step for me to, to make it at, at the time. And uh, I needed some... Uh, yeah, going back to Sweden and recharge my batteries and go out again. Coming back to Sweden, it was in the summer of 2014 that you played in the Euros for your, your country, featuring all three of your, your country's group games in Group C. That group featured a freeway tie for the top spot between yourselves, Italy and Denmark, as all the matches between each other had been draws and you'd all beaten Bulgaria. Italy were ultimately eliminated on the number of goals scored between the sides after Sweden and Denmark drew 2-2 which led to Italy claiming the match had been fixed. <laughs> you yeah. ever disregarded their claim. What was the sort of feeling amongst the players to such a claim made by Italy? And were you aware beforehand that a 2-2 draw would eliminate the Italians? Yeah, we were, obviously. And, and uh, at the time, I spoke a little bit Italian still, you know, and, and they have you arranged something already to play uh, two, two, to get a draw, to get uh, Italy eliminated. And I said, no, no. You're the ones who try to be tricky and, and tend to bend the r- rules all the time. So we are not like that. <laughs> and then when it ended, to, to, they came back. You, you promised us. You promised us. And I, <laughs> what can I say? But if you, if you, if you uh, see the game now, it's uh, 15 years ago. If you watch the game again now, it's no way that could have been uh, decided before because it was back and forth all the time and, and um, obviously after the the, the equal uh, um, we equalized uh, in in yeah i think what if uh, 85th minute or something obviously then nobody wants to do any risky moves you know but but before that it was uh, a war between yeah denmark and, and sweden he was a hugely talented player in that sweden squad including the likes you had of zlatan ibrahimovic henrik larsson Freddie Lundberg, what was it like playing with those kind of players? And also, I mean, just on Zlatan directly, what is he like to play with and train with? Yeah, it's a monster. Uh, with his size, his ability to do things, although he's uh, such a big, uh, yeah, with his height and, and physique, you know, he's he's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, to, 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 you know, to experience the things he does with a ball, uh, it's amazing, actually. You know, he can do so so many 
wonderful things, you know. And he, I don't know if you remember the uh, when he equalized against Italy, you know, the 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 kind of uh, yeah finish he does there. It's unbelievable. It's only him in the world maybe who can do that. That that hugely impressive team of Zlatan leading the line did go on to the quarterfinals and they played out a, a hugely uh, exciting game despite the scoreline being nil nil uh, with Holland. And it went through to a dramatic extra time with Freddie Jumberg hitting the inside of the Dutch post. But obviously the match would eventually be settled on penalties with Holland winning the lottery by five goals to four. What are your memories of the tournament on a whole and, and how would you describe would you describe representing your country as sort of the proudest moment of your career? Because obviously you went on to make 57 appearances for the Swedish national side and also appeared at the 2006 World Cup in Germany. Portugal was uh, a breakthrough, uh, so to speak, on a bigger stage to, to be able to perform on, on a on a high level uh, uh, when it really matters the most, you know. For me, it was a great experience, you know. Like you said, I played uh, the group uh, games and then I was suspended for the for the Dutch game. Uh, the leader of the team at the time was actually Henrik, you know. He was, uh, yeah, dictating things. He's clever, uh, tactically gifted, you know, and he could guide Slatan, a young boy at the time. He was only 21, 22, I think, at the time. And, and he needed guidance as well. Uh, Freddie was ob- obviously uh, yeah, a big player at Arsenal also. So he was, uh, yeah, he had a great influence, obviously, uh, on, on the team as well. Shortly after the tournament, Saturday the 31st of July 2004, you joined Spurs for a reported fee of £1.7 million. Tell us, how did you discover Spurs' interest and how did the club approach you firstly? Was that you directly at the time? Was that through your agent? Talk us through that chain of events and how that move to Spurs materialised. It happened quite quickly, actually. I had, I'd had a, an offer from Benfica uh, earlier that summer. They, it got turned down because uh, financially they were not so strong and the, the club was not as big as it is now. Uh, so here the uh, quite w- w- with that kind of standard they have, it's a yeah, sub-top... Uh, uh, team in, in Holland, quite financially strong because they had uh, sold plays before, like Jondal Thomasson, for example. Uh, so they, they were financially strong, so, so they could turn office down, and uh, they did um, with Benfica. And then I think two weeks later, uh, all of a sudden Spurs came in. Uh, what I heard from Martin Joll afterwards that Jack Santini, he wanted uh, Lisa Rasu from, from um, Bayern Munich, but he, he chose to go to... Um, Olympic Marseille, and then uh, Frank asked um, asked Martin, "Who's the best left back in 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 the Dutch league?" And he said, "Ah, it's Maxwell from Ajax. Ah, we can't afford him. Who's the second best? Yeah, it's Eric Edman who plays for Hirfein in, in the north part of Holland. So they, they took me instead, <laughs> and I'm glad for that. Obviously, you know. Who did actually tell you that story, Eric? Is that is that a true story they told you? Martin told me. Really? So I yeah, I assume it's uh, it's a true story. Yeah. At that time, is it a case that they? I mean, Martin approached you directly. I mean, how, you said it happened fairly quickly. Just how quick, Eric? Are we talking a matter of days, weeks? How quickly did that move escalate to Tottenham? Yeah, two days. Uh, they asked me to to uh, to decide. Uh, yeah, pretty much on the minute, and I said, yeah, I want to go. Uh, I want to. Prove myself on the biggest stage, obviously with Premiership, biggest league in the world, and and uh, with with the reputation and the history, uh, also for a Swedish boy, uh, where we can watch the the, the English game uh, regularly every Saturday. When I was a boy, you know, small boy, 
I can watch it. So, so it's a huge thing, you know, for a Swedish uh, player to go to England. Uh, and it materialized uh, only in a couple of days. And and uh, I think more it was Frank who who, who was uh, the the decisive uh, person. Martin had nothing to do with it. Uh, he only explained me this uh, later on, you know. That summer when you joined, it was an exciting new era for Tottenham with, with Jacques Santini appointed as the manager following his time managing the French national team. Martin Yarl was his number two and Frank Arneson all joining the club, and you were one of several new signings. What were sort of your first impressions of arriving uh, in London, uh, at seeing Spurs Lodges, that's where we trained at the time, and also maybe your first look around White Hart Lane? Did you get to look at all at the stadium uh, prior to you know, coming out and, and actually playing for the club in a friendly or, or, or your first league start? No, I only went to medical, you know, in the city centre. Uh, for me, obviously, and you know, I've been to London before, and it's a huge city. Um, much bigger than what I'm used to, maybe too big for me. Um, but it, it, it was a nice summer day, I, rem- I remember. And I, I went to medical. Uh, I don't remember if we went... Yeah, we probably signed at the Spurs Lodge. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, and I, I didn't see Whitehot Lane before I signed. No, I didn't. Uh, then went back and then came back again, obviously. Trained two times, I think. And then we went to to Sevilla, Sevilla to, to play a friendly tournament or something, yeah. Before you decided to join, Colin, what was your thoughts of joining Spurs? At that time, let's be honest about it, Tottenham were trying their best to break in maybe to that top six. The top four was always the ultimate goal maybe of the, of the board, but we were quite far off that at that time. When you were looking from the outside, did you feel Spurs were a club that could always try at some point break into that top four? Yeah, definitely. It was a uh, Daniel Levy. He wanted to take another direction. They 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 tried the other thing, you know, with with attracting, uh, uh, yeah, big players, obviously with big contracts, you know. And he wanted to do it in another way to maybe a, a longer period of of uh, building things, you know. Like you said, he brought Frank and and uh, they tried to bring in younger players to to uh, maybe have a uh, yeah, how do you say a, a rebuilding. Uh, squad, uh, you know, maybe have a one, two years to rebuild, then really push on for for maybe European spots or, or even Champions League spots eventually. And during your sort of first season at the club, you went on and made 31 appearances in all competitions. How did you find the level of the Premier League compared to what you played in before? Obviously, you had your time in Serie A, but you're a little bit older now, a little bit more experienced. Was it still a big step up for you coming in the Premier League? Yeah, definitely. Uh, for me, it was like a, a national team game every week, you know. Uh, the the Dutch league is 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 nice, it's good, it's better than Sweden, obviously, but it's uh, still far away from the English uh, league. And uh, here, Fein, you know, the former club I, I, I came from, they were more or less a top team, like a, a four fifth uh, kind kind of table team, you know. So we we used to to dictate a lot of games. When you come into Spurs, it was a even even game uh, game every week against Norwich, West Bromwich, uh, Bolton, those kind of teams. It was even his. Um, you, you could not uh, foresee uh, the game before that you were going to dominate or dictate it. Like you obviously hoped for that, but that was seldom the the the, the question. A nice easy debut for you, Eric. You made your debut in the first game of the season against Liverpool. At Wahart Lane, that was a 1 1 draw, of course. Jacques Santini's first game in charge of Tottenham. What was your memories of that day? What can you remember 
I remember a lot of things. I was nervous before, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, it, it obviously with Liverpool coming to the White Hart Lane, it was uh, a huge game. The the debut, the the um, first game, it was yeah. I think we did quite well with a couple of new players coming in and. Uh, we didn't know each other that well, you know, uh, compared to Liverpool. Maybe they played longer together. Um, so, so a draw, I think it was fine for us. And I remember one after the game, I went out to eat with my my uh, my girlfriend, and now she's my wife. And and then we took the tube back to to the um, to the hotel afterwards. And then uh, I have I have a um, uh, tracksuit on, you know. And and somebody come up to me at at the, on the tube. Are you actually a player of Spurs? He asked me. And then, <laughs> yeah, I am. You know, the, what what the, what the hell are you doing on the tube? <laughs> That's yeah, crazy, anyway, really. it was a nice memory. Yeah, it's a nice memory. You know, anyway. Yeah, it's crazy you say it because I mean that was at the time where I suppose for players it was we were coming into that era where players were just not used to taking public transport. It was it it was such a different time. Yeah, and obviously everybody had their own car going to the game. I, I, I didn't, you know. I, I, um, I, I haven't bought my car yet, so, yeah. And going all the way from London Undergrounds, your, your second game was the complete other side of the country. We went up to uh, Newcastle, and it was a ground historically at that point we'd struggled to win at. But we did record a superb one your way win with Timothy Atuba scoring a curling winner. What are your memories of that fixture coming out at St James's Park, you know, historically big, noisy stadium? And, uh, you know, you kept your first clean sheet for Tottenham and a bigger way win. Yeah, that, that was also, I think it was a massive win, actually, to, to build confidence within the, the team and within the squad, you know, that we really could do things. And like you said, uh, Newcastle at the time or even before, you know, they had been doing some good things, you know. They've been in the Champions League and had a, a good team, you know. Share uh, was still pretty good you know he was maybe on his downturn you know but but still uh, strong uh, so it was a massive win for us and uh, Timothy his his first goal was also nice you know and um, yeah funny player funny guy you know Timothy I'm glad you said that because he, he does seem a character in the dressing room what was he like to play with out of interest exactly the opposite to me you know he was creative uh, going offensively, a little bit of a loose cannon, you know, uh, you could expect anything from him and maybe sometimes <laughs> also you didn't expect anything, you know, he could do, yeah, fantastic things with the ball and I think uh, maybe he didn't, was perfectly suited for Spurs at the time, he, he probably should have played for a, a top team, you know, who who... who where we can bang forward all the time. He has to go on the offense, you know. Uh, but but a, a really nice guy and also a great player. It's funny, so you say that, is it, is it quite difficult to rein in? So when it came to kind of that, you know, when Martin would maybe give, give a team to go, Jack Santini at the start would give a team to, was he a player that just loved to go forward and maybe wasn't as great in terms of the discipline of being able to sit back and mark players? Well, not, not as a left back, but I think he did quite well a couple of games there as a, like, like a winger or a, like on a 4-4-2, he played a wide left there on the midfield. I, I think he did quite well, you know, and I, I like to play with him. It was it was a nice time, you know. Yeah. Only but, but then we went on to be more like competing for the same spot and obviously uh, we we had a great relationship, me and uh, Timothy, but but still it, we were competitors for the same spot and obviously it's uh, yeah, it was tough for him and tough for me as well. Moving on to your sixth game of the club now and that was the 
game that was infamously named by Jose Mourinho as the parking the bus game. This yeah. was the 0-0 at Stamford Bridge. Despite those claims by Mourinho, we actually had a great late chance to win that game with a Robbie Keane header. Um, it was actually an excellent point for us and another clean sheet. How was your sort of experience of a first big London derby? Yeah, that was also like, like the Liverpool game, a huge game for me. And uh, actually, I played at at uh, Stamford Bridge with my with Helsingborg a couple of years earlier uh, in the Cup Winners' Cup, and they had a good team there back then as well. And now Mourinho came in with a like a like a, with a Champions League trophy under his belt, you know. And he was uh, cocky all the time, and he was outspoken. And then they had a great team, and and were yeah really getting into the places they wanted to get into. And uh, I think a draw, obviously, we, we play defensively, but like you said, we had a couple of chances, I think, and uh, as I remember it uh, anyway. Uh, but but uh, obviously, a, a draw and a point away uh, against a great team as uh, Chelsea was a thing for us at the time. The crazy thing with that result, Eric, for us was that in the past with Chelsea, it had always been a ground where, even still now, you know, we, we always find it difficult at Stamford Bridge to go there and to get a result. Uh, to come away with a nil-nil and then to hear the opposing manager, Mourinho, saying that he parking the bus, what were the players' reactions like that in the dressing room after the game? Do you read much into that or are you just simply focused on, on the games in hand? You don't pay too much attention to what the opposing manager says because I think with Jack Santini at the time, there was almost this... Um, definite fear, feeling, definite feeling that there was almost a cautious approach to games. Did you feel that as a player with Jack? I know it was only a very short period of him at Tottenham. What was your feelings about the park bus, park the bus yes. thing? I, yes. I, I don't think uh, any player really, yeah, paid any paid uh, any attention to it. You know, just yeah, a draw and then uh, on to the next thing. You know, with, with Jack, I think he. His uh, handicaps, uh, if you want, was that he didn't speak so much uh, English. You know, his English was really poor. So he had his assistant, Dominic Kuperlu, uh, who, who um, translated a lot of things. And the message he wanted to get out before games was just a brief chat. Uh, he couldn't really uh, address what he wanted, you know, and probably players were a bit confused and I think he was frustrated about it at times, you know, and maybe he was frustrated about the players, I don't know, because he was used to the French national team with with their standard. But anyway, I, th- I think he, he more or less got frustrated uh, along the way uh, every week. The more it went on, you know, and I, I heard the relationship between him and, and uh, Frank was not the, the greatest. As you mentioned him, I must ask about Dominic Kupali, because I have a memory of him wearing this big gold chain, a bit like Mr. T. Now, was he? What sort of character? <laughs> what sort of character was he? And did he ever take that gold chain off? <laughs> I, I actually, the gold chain, I don't remember it. I, I really enjoyed working with Dominic because he was uh, a funny guy. He, he was uh, respected with with the players, I think, and and. Um, I had a good relationship with him, although he he, he he just stayed a couple of months. Obviously, when Chuck went uh, soon after, he left as well. Um, but uh, I think he was yeah gifted gifted coach, you know, Dominic. Uh, he wa- he didn't want to uh, take it too seriously, although he had good uh, understanding of the game and he could uh, address things, you know, because he spoke English, whereas uh, yeah, Chuck struggled quite a bit actually. 
So on Jack, we then went on a terrible run in the league. We lost six games on the bounce, leading to Jacques Santini losing his job. Um, I have to ask you then, overall impressions, Eric, of Jacques as a manager, what was he like? And you mentioned there about the trouble with communicating with players as widely reported when we spoke to other players. And then the emergence of Martin Yol. Did that always seem like a move on the cards? And what was your relationship like with Martin? Talk us through those elements. Yeah, when he left, it was a surprise for everybody. But like you said, uh, I think he was frustrated with the... Maybe he came, uh, got the get, got the promise from Daniel Levo. Yeah, we're going to push for European spot and we're going to go do this and we're going to buy this player, blah, blah, blah. And when that didn't materialize, I think maybe he, he uh, tended to to grow uh, to get to get uh, frustrated about the situation, and then he ended up leaving. That's the only thing I know and what, what I saw anyway. Um, uh, and Martin came in. Uh, he, he used to be a coach for RKC Valveik in, in the Dutch league where I sp- played before, and it's a really small club. He's not the typical Dutch coach, you know, where you want to play nice football from the back and and four. Uh, 3-3 kind of system. He, he's more a British guy, you know, where he played at West Brom, for example, and, and he, he adapted that kind of philosophy more than the Dutch way. Um, and he, he uh, I think he, the first thing he, he did when he, he got the job was to to take Jamie Red above and then put Carrick on, you know, and I think uh, Jacques Santini didn't want Carrick at all uh, because uh, I think Frank took him on uh, without uh, actually asking uh, Jacques about it uh, so much, and and then uh, Martin really liked the Carrick, and everybody saw from from then on that yeah, this is a great player. He's going to do really good things. Can I just ask you very quickly, Eric? You mentioned Frank Arneson there. How involved was he at the time with the club? And you mentioned about maybe bringing in players that, you know, maybe Jack wouldn't have liked or, you know, how heavily involved did you see Frank? Was he at the training ground all the time where you was at the club or was he kind of working behind the scenes? And how heavily involved was Frank at the time? As I remember it, he was uh, he was active, you know. He, I saw him a lot at the Spurs Lodge. He watched uh, sessions, you know, and... Uh, Obviously, from time to time, he went on a trip or something, you know, to, to scout players. But uh, uh, my impression was that this is a really gifted person who who can uh, benefit. Uh, yeah, the club can benefit from his presence, you know, at the club. Uh, obviously, he only stayed a year and then he went on to, to, to Chelsea because they offered him, yeah, probably more money or more uh, yeah things to do. Tottenham fans were disappointed, but looking at the overall deal, I understand Chelsea paid a figure of around £10 million in compensation for a man that had never actually kicked the ball for the football club. Did it feel amongst the players rather strange when he left? A lot of the English players, the British players, or Irish players, or whatever player who was at the, at the club, or generally speaking, English players, they don't bother so much what's going around uh, at the club. You know, they, they, they do their thing, come in, train, work hard, and, and try to play the game, obviously, and don't really interfere with other things, you know. And I think that's professional football in a way, you know. Don't, don't worry so much what's going on uh, about things you can't really interfere with or it's not concerning you, you understand me? Uh, because I think it's better to, to focus on the things you should do and, and what you can um, 
uh, yeah, produce, so to speak. We now move on to a game that, to Tottenham fans, is the most important game of the season. It was your first North London derby, which was an absolute classic. Unfortunately, on this one, we came out the wrong side, but it was 5-4. How did you feel going into that game? What was the sort of, were coaches, players at the club telling you just how important this victory is to the fans? And was it sort of drummed into you what it means to play in a North London derby for Tottenham and to try and get that victory? Yeah, definitely. I, I just uh, recently before the game, I came back from a concussion I got against Everton away where we win 1-0 and then I was away for five, six games where I didn't play because of my uh, concussion. Uh, so so I play, I think, half uh, one half against Aston Villa and then had to go out again because of the concussion. I felt dizzy. Coming into the game, I, I uh, like like you said, uh, they came just came from the invincible season, and everybody we need to do things, do something about this game. We need really to to step up and and really try to to win the game. Uh, obviously, I, I remember Nordin Nybet. He hit me with a ball on the, during the warm up, you know, and I was dizzy again. I felt. Should I actually, should, maybe it's a sign I should not play this game, you know, <laughs> because uh, it hit me with a ball and I got this again. But then, yeah, I decided to, to try to play it. And yeah, I'm happy I did it because it was a really nice game. And the atmosphere I experienced at, at the time at the lane uh, was unbelievable. I've never been in a game with that kind of uh, atmosphere around it, you know, it was hatred, actually hatred from from the Spurs fans with with the Arsenal team. Had had you ever heard it so noisy as when Neighbour actually volleyed us one 0 in front in that match? No, I don't think so because the atmosphere was unbelievable, uh, and I think I think they they uh, they uh, celebrated the the winning the league the last game the the year before, obviously at the lane and now. Probably that uh, angered a lot of fans, uh, yeah. Now, Eric, our league form quickly picked up under Martin Yo after that defeat to Arsenal. We went undefeated in eight games, including five straight wins, with the highlights of those wins being against Man City away, Blackburn and Norwich. During that period, I have to ask you, under Martin... Did you feel comfortable? How was your relationship? How would you describe that with Martin? Yeah, I enjoyed working under Martin. I think he uh, he's uh, outspoken. He he, he um, directs his uh, he addresses his uh, tactics, uh, what he wants, what he wants out of every player, and uh, I think also uh, he understood the, the the strength and the weaknesses of the team, and the strength obviously was Ledley at the back. Uh, and and try to bring the ball as quick as possible to to one of the the strikers. You know, you had um, Fred Frederick Canote who was so strong, and there were obviously R- Robbie and and Jermaine as well. And then Mido came in uh, during the winter, uh, and he had also uh, a good uh, yeah a great influence on the team. I think this is a crazy game that still to this day, I'll be honest with you, Eric. We look back on and we just think, how did this happen? On the 4th of January 2005, we headed to Old Trafford and we put in, to be fair, an excellent display. And in a moment at Spurs fans, I think the world will never forget and how it changes football now in terms of VAR coming into the game. But Pedro Mendes scored that goal that Roy Carroll, as we can remember, clawed out despite it being so clearly over the line. But the decision was not to award the goal 
that was hugely controversial. Um, what was your feelings like as a player that night? And you've got to tell us, what was your reaction in the dressing room after the game where you must have known that goal was clearly over the line? Everybody saw it was over the line. Obviously, I was far away from the goal because uh, Pedro, he, he uh, shot it from, from far out. And, and uh, he had to, yeah, dig with his whole hand inside over the line and try to bring the ball out. And I think maybe it helped Roy Carroll at the time that the, the linesman was so far away from the, from the goal line, so to speak. So he couldn't really judge whether it was over the line or not or maybe he didn't even see it because he was maybe watching a yeah, defensive line to, to yeah keep the offside uh, under control you know maybe that's why he didn't saw it but but uh, everybody in the stands and obviously every player saw it strange feeling because we we felt we did so well and we should have took taken the the three points with us on the bus, you know, and um, yeah, frustrated uh, everybody was. Uh, that's how I remember it. But yeah, generally speaking, a good game, a good point. Everybody should be happy with that. If, you, if you've said it from before, a uh, point away to them uh, it's great. But yeah, should have been three. What was Martin's reaction like, Eric? Can you remember? Was he fuming at the time? Can you remember what the reaction was like from Martin? I think he was quite humble, uh, you know, but... The impression I always had with, with the Sir Alex that, that everybody was uh, a bit afraid of him or like he was some kind of godfather of the premiership, you know, that he, he, he dictated things, you know, uh, players were afraid of him, coaches were afraid of him and obviously the referees were, they had a big respect for him as well. Now moving on to a game that Personally, I remember very fondly as a sort of 15-year-old sitting in the away end with my good friend Daniel. You scored your first goal for Spurs and, and what a goal it was and what a place to get it. It is a goal that will never be forgotten by Spurs fans and it's one of those where were you moments. And it will also forever ingrain you in the history of the club. You picked up the ball some 35, 40 yards out and unleashed a sweet left-footed strike that flew into the top corner in front of the cop, leaving Liverpool goalkeeper Jersey Dudek sort of helplessly watching on. Just talk us through that goal, that moment, Eric. I know that in Scandinavia as a whole, Liverpool are such a big club, so that would have naturally been a game that so many people were watching. And for you to score your first goal and a goal that's gone down in history, you know, I bet you can't meet a Liverpool or, or Tottenham fan that won't mention that moment to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy every time somebody mentions it and I see it on the social media. But uh, like you said, Liverpool is a huge club over here in Scandinavia. But I, I have to say, Spurs is also a huge club because... We have um, supporters, yeah, all over in Scandinavia, and, and uh, so, so uh, Tottenham is also a big club. Now I, I get the ball after a, a corner, and I put it forward a couple of yards, and then just yeah, shoot, you know. And I didn't really uh, realize until yeah, it went in that oh shit, it's a goal, and <laughs> <laughs> I was just as surprised as everybody else. Uh, in the crowd, and uh, I remember Robbie was screaming for the ball. You know, he wants the ball and, and tried to do something. And then all of a sudden, he sees, okay, it's it's in. And then, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, yeah, I can't really remember every thought I had in my head afterwards, but I, I was surprised. And you can see the celebration also. It's not uh, uh, top class, you know. <laughs> Maybe the goal is top class, but my celebration is definitely not top class, you know, because I was, I was surprised, yeah. Having been sat in the away end, sort of just, you know, the shot would have been directly 
we would have been looking onto you shooting. I mean, the top of the way end, it wasn't like a normal goal celebration. People just couldn't believe what they'd seen. You know, it was like people were screaming, oh, my God, oh, my God. It was just a, it was such a moment that I'll never forget. And I can't imagine what it must have been like scoring that goal for you, Eric. And, you know, you will always, as I said, be remembered in Tottenham Hospital history for scoring such a wonderful goal. Thank you. Now yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased, you know, and it's a great, great memory for me, obviously, with, with my record of not scoring so many goals or, or almost none. Not a goal at all. Uh, so it, it was uh, really nice, obviously. And then, especially, like you said, away game, uh, Liverpool at the time, they went on to win the Champions League that year as well. And uh, I think we had, uh, as I remember it, we had a tough game. You know, they were pushing on and, and were strong. I think they tried to play 3 4 3 that game. And uh, Michael Dawson played alongside. Um, uh, Ledley in the back, and he he was having a great game as well, you know, to to keep the goal clean from from more goals than only two. Then, yeah, we got yeah, ourselves look- a draw out of that, didn't we? In the end, we got we managed to get ourselves a draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a great result, you know. Looking back, and anyway, yeah, we, we've talked about obviously the Liverpool game. We, we actually had some unbelievable results that season in terms of going away to the historic top four. If you consider where Tottenham were at the time. And, and being unbeaten, you know, we went to, to, to Chelsea and had that clean sheet. We went to United and should have won another clean sheet. 2-2 at Liverpool, 1-0 at Newcastle. I mean, Eric, this was this is a Tottenham we hadn't known for a number of years. And you were part of that. Yeah, and it, it's nice. And like you said, we were maybe more uh, solid, defensively solid than, than you've been the years before. Maybe not as entertaining as the years before, but... but uh, more solid, definitely, and and uh, on the way to become what they uh, became later. You know, uh, a couple of years later, they they pushed for European spot. And I think it's it's probably a good first step to 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 build on. You know, a solid base. You know, defensively uh, hard to beat if you want. And like you said, if you can grab a couple of points here and there from from uh, great away opponents. You know, I think. Uh, that can build confidence and that can build uh, a feeling of, OK, we can also do things, you know. You mentioned definitely about that being hard to beat fact. I mean, we finished ninth that season. Tell us what your overall memories were of that season as a whole, because obviously after that with Martin, we did finish kind of back-to-back top five. So I think you're right that that season definitely kind of laid the foundations for Spurs to really kind of push on. And what Martin, as we've always said on our shows here, Martin Yo was the man that really did lay the foundation for Spurs to have their future real domestic success in terms of pushing on in the league. Like you said, a lot of the young players uh, Frank brought in, you know, they were developing in the right way and, and really come into the phase that, where they could really push and, and be a dominant player in the Premiership. You know, like you had... Paul Robertson in the back. Eventually, he he, he became England uh, number one for a time. Uh, Robbie Yamane were young players uh, and developing. Um, I think I think like you said, like I said as well, uh, Michael Carrick became uh, the kind of player everybody hoped for. You know, but but uh, you can't really know what to get before you really give him the chance, you know, and I know West Ham, he get his debut there, but, but they went down and, and he came into to, to, uh, to a new club, a new Spurs, you know, but he developed into great midfielder, obviously, when he went on to, to play for Manchester United later on, but a couple of those younger players really developed and I think that helped to build the, the, the club 
into a uh, yeah major factor for in, in the in the Premier League uh, in those early years. You know, obviously looking back now. At the end of that season, it did see Spurs sign another left back in South Korean international Lee Young Pyo. And you subsequently then departed the club for a reported fee of £2.7 million to French club Ren. Did you want to leave the club after only one season? And how did that move come about? It, it was a lot of things, you know, uh, that, that I put in consideration and, and really made me leave. I tried to speak to Martin about playing time because uh, I think if we would have made the, the step into European football already the first year, maybe I, I would have thought, okay, I'm going to get a lot more playing time uh, and, and more playing time than than I thought when young Puli came in because he really wanted that player, uh, Martin. Uh, so I tried to speak to him. He didn't really want to promise me anything. Obviously, you can't really promise playing time because you have to, I have to perform in during uh, trainings and, and games to, to uh, deserve the place, you know. But, but that's what was one thing. Uh, Ren really pushed hard to get me because they was they had started the league with five losses. Uh, they they gave me a, a great contract, much better contract than I had at Spurs. Um, and also one more thing was the World Cup in in Germany 2006. And I thought I need, I want playing time before that. So those kind of decisions made me take the step. Uh, I had I had two and a half. Nice years, good years, great years at, at Ren, but maybe afterwards I, I should have stayed, you know, because uh, Spurs was such uh, such a bigger club, you know. For you, what was your overall abiding memories of your time at Spurs, Eric? If you had to kind of, in a way, sum it up, tell us, looking back now and you look at the club and your time playing there, how would you rank that for you in terms of memories? Now, generally speaking, great great year for me and every time I watched the Spurs uh, when I w- was playing in France I, I had a bittersweet feeling you know because ah could have been me there you know in in, in such a big league in such a big club but so so it was bittersweet so I had good times there but obviously you can't compare Spurs to Rennes uh, because of the magnitude of the of the club and also, the league is much more highlighted uh, everywhere, and especially you know back home uh, here in Sweden. You know, it's it's such a big thing. So, uh, yeah, it's a nice country, France, and it's a nice league also. But you can't compare it to England now. Does the improvement of Spurs as a whole surprise you at all, considering your time at the club and, and where they are now? You know, featuring in Champions League finals and moving into that fantastic new stadium. I want to to look at that uh, that way, but but I think that year when Frank rebuilt the squad, that had helped them push a little bit brick by brick, uh, step by step, you know, to build things uh, in the right direction. Obviously, other managers, a lot of new players coming in, but I think they Frank started something good, you know, uh, and I think that had helped Spurs to push. A little bit at the time, you know, uh, and then obviously with Pochettino, I think he he done great for Spurs, you know, to really take that last step. I, I understand you want trophies and uh, eventually you're going to get trophies, but you have to be in the place year after year to really, yeah, maybe, yeah, if, if, you, if you're there all the time, eventually you're going to win, you know, that, that's how I look at it. And I think for me, it's sad to, to see him go.
it's interesting you bring him up because we, we definitely want to ask you in terms of you know managerial wise you've worked under some top managers and we're going to come on to Roberto Martinez shortly but just in terms of the stadium for you Eric have you been there yet have you been to that Tottenham Hotspur stadium no I haven't I, I really want to go uh, I, I went with my son he's uh, 14 now and we went to Wembley uh, uh, to watch the Man City game, uh, I think it's two years ago or something. After just after the NFL uh, game at Wembley, uh, we went there. It was really cold Monday night, I think, uh, and uh, we were sitting far away. You know, uh, was only I had, I should have brought my binoculars, you know, to to really see something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was nice to to watch uh, two great sights. You know, a lot of great plays on the pitch, and uh, uh, it was a nice experience anyway. And hopefully your son supports Tottenham. Yeah, yeah, he has a couple of shots now. You know, when we went to the Spurs shop, but um, you know, it's a it's a shopping mall next to the Wembley Stadium. We went to 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 buy a couple of shirts from for Tottenham. So he supports Tottenham now. Yeah, that's what we love to hear. <laughs> yeah. Can I just ask you on your sort of memories of Daniel Levy as a whole? I mean, did you have much interaction with him, or is it mainly done with Frank Arneson as he was the sporting director? Yeah, I briefly yeah spoke to to Daniel, uh, but generally I I understand he's uh, criticised a little bit now. But I think generally speaking, uh, he's done good things for Spurs to to take them to a spot or a place where they are now. Obviously, last year this season has been tough for for Spurs, um, and if they want to push on for 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 the, for, for um, winning the league or winning the Champions League. They probably need a lot more money, uh, yeah. And they also need to rebuild a little bit, maybe the defense, uh, the next couple of years. It's funny, Eric. You know, you speak about when Frank came in, there was a rebuild, and you feel like with Tottenham now, that's exactly what they need again. They need that. Con- they need another rebuild of this team. And you know, that's a discussion we have still on a week-to-week basis with Tottenham. When are we going to begin this rebuild? How much money is it going to take? And it's interesting, you know. Even speaking to ex-players like yourself, that you even feel from the outside looking in that it's going to need quite a considerable amount of money to try and get this Spurs team in a position where they can really, if they can, try to really push towards the top of the league if they can. It's going to take a significant amount of money. But back to you. After your spell with Rennes, you returned to the Premier League with Wigan Athletic. Tell us how that move came about and how did you find Roberto Martinez as your manager at the time? Uh, yeah, as I remember, they wanted to take me already the summer before I went there, and uh, eventually it materialized uh, during the winter when when Steve Bruce was the manager. Uh, were bottom of the table, I think. And I played six, seven games, and we started to pick up a little bit, and then uh, to 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 dig ourselves out of the bottom three. Um, eventually, we were quite safe. Uh, yeah, a couple of, of games before the end of the season. But I, before that, I tore, tore my ACL, you know, and I was out for more than a year. Uh, and during that time, Steve went to uh, Sunderland and, uh, um, yeah, Roberto Martinez came in as well, you know. He had built uh, Swansea up from, from uh, lower divisions and really made a name out of himself, you know, there. And obviously with his history at, at Wigan before where he played uh, and I, I think probably that's the best manager I ever had and all 
although I never rarely played under him. I really rate him uh, highly. Uh, Eric, on a game you may not want me to remind you about, your, your final appearance for Wigan I, was one that no Spurs fan. We said we should not bring this up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> you featured... The- no, 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 I, I was kidding. Go ahead, yeah. I know. <laughs> you featured for Wigan in their 9-1 defeat at White Hart Lane. What was that like coming out at White Hart Lane as an opposing player and coming up against Aaron Lennon having the game of his life? Yeah, I gave him uh, his game of his life. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it was not beforehand, you know, it was great to come back and to play there. I went, I had a couple of minutes in, in a cup game uh, the year before or one and a half year before, I think, uh, with Steve Bruce there. Beforehand, I was uh, anxious and I was happy to come back and uh, uh, obviously nervous as well. But I thought we did okay the first half. You know, we were only one nil down. And going into the second half, we thought, okay, we can maybe sneak a point here and and, uh, really get home with a point. And then second half was, yeah, worst nightmare you can ever imagine, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah well, Wayne Defoe got five that afternoon. I mean, what was what was it like playing against him that day? Yeah, actually, I didn't see him so much, but uh, more and more contact <laughs> with or contact with Aaron Lennon. But I remember one corner. Well, they had a corner in the second half, and I think he scored three or four at the time. And I, uh, I said to Jermaine, JD, please stop. You already had enough. And he said. Oh, hi, Eric. How are you? (laughs) Haven't you seen me all game? I've been the lousy left back all the time, you know. And uh, yeah, anyway, now it's to be a bit more serious. It was a nightmare. And um, now I can laugh about it. But at the time and the couple of weeks after that game, it was, yeah, it was tough for me. You know, it was uh, devastating. And obviously, I need, I never really recovered uh, on on a Premier League level after that you know I rarely got a chance after and uh, uh, the 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 normal left back main of Figueroa he came back from injury and I I never get the chance after that is that the kind of game I have to ask you can you just not wait to get off the field that that might sound crazy but you know with the goals are going in like that seven eight nine one you just might want to get off the field so fast and get back home right yeah, yeah, it's a nightmare and it's like a bubble. You can't, what, what's happening? You know, I, I can't, whatever I do, nothing works, you know. And, and uh, so, so it's, yeah, it's a blur, blurry, yeah, feeling and you, you, you're hypnotized in a way, you know. Uh, obviously, with the goals coming in all the time, it's, yeah, it's unstoppable in a way, you know. And you've seen that kind of results last couple of years where you have six, seven, eight. I think Southampton lost 10-0, I think, or something. And, and I, I feel bad about it, you know. I feel sorry for them because I, I experienced the same feeling uh, where you can't, whatever you do, you can't stop it, you know. What does the manager say at the end of a game like that? Is there even, a, is there even like a, a, a team, is there like a warm down afterwards to the players? talk it out does the manager say anything what, what do you remember what even happened on that day Eric? or did you just all just go home straight away can you remember i remember we're sitting uh, devastated everybody and obviously me uh, most of all probably because because of my performance uh, or, or lack of performance mm. uh 
Uh, no, Roberto didn't say anything. He he was just as frustrated uh, as anybody else. And I think at the time, to to be clever in that moment, it's not the right time, you know, to say things. Uh, it's better to shut up and go home and. Instead of saying something you're gonna regret anyway, because uh, it's not no productive things that's gonna come out anyway. Uh, everybody knew this is way below par, you know. <laughs> and and uh, so we had we had a face to face meeting with every player. I think the day after or something, or two days after. And uh, yeah, yeah, for everybody and especially me, it was a nightmare, and I don't want to experience it again obviously now i i, I hope i i'm I, i'm uh, gonna avoid it because i, I stopped playing <laughs> on the 5th of february 2010 you returned to your first club helsingborg signing a five-year deal uh, <clears throat> and then obviously from that you now currently work as the assistant manager in as an assistant manager in sweden tell us how's that going for you personally and could we see any players join you on loan from spurs or perhaps a friendly between the two clubs in the future what do you think I went back to Sweden and uh, had a, uh, my my uh, last couple of seasons were great. We won the league, we won the cup, uh, we got eliminated by Celtic in the Champions League. Uh, quite a tight game, but but we didn't really make made it. Uh, so the last couple of years was was great for me uh, personally and uh, for for the club and on a whole. But now the last couple of years I've been commentating games on a Swedish uh, television for in the Swedish league and uh, recently now I, I'm actually the head coach for for a local team here in Helsingborg and uh, uh, try try to build something you know develop players more than actually achieve um, uh, yeah promotion so to speak you know and I want to help players to to uh, become better and hopefully they can move on to a better club and and uh, that's my ambition, you know. Obviously, I want to win football games as well, but it's a, it's a, it's an amateur club uh, where they don't get salary at all. So, um, yeah, but but it's a nice experience. And finally, Eric, uh, we must ask you: Who was the sort of best player that you played with during your time with Spurs? Without a doubt, Ledley King. You know, he's he's unbelievable. He is he he's something else. Uh, we had some great great players. At the club where when I was there, but nobody can in in any way compare to Ledley King. Uh, for me, he's yeah. He, if he wasn't so um, injury uh, prone, he, he would be, become the best central defender England have ever ever had. That's my uh, I I can't see. Uh, see it any other way because of his uh, potential and his quality. You know, already when I was at the club, he was uh, having his problem with with his knee, I think. And and nobody saw him uh, on the pitch before Thursday. Then he took a couple of laps around the pitch. Friday before the game, he joined the boxes a little bit. If the knee felt okay, he he um, joined in the in, in the small games, you know. But and then on the Saturday, he was man of a match every time. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. It's funny, again, you mentioned Ledley there, and at the time also, Eric, you know, Nabet had joined the club, and I think a lot of people always kind of make reference to the fact that with Nabet coming in at that time, how much really benefited benefited Ledley. Did you see that as well, the fact that Norodin had that chance to work with Ledley? Because I think Ledley has always kind of made the point that Norodin made him a much better player 
having that experienced player around the camp. Yeah, I, th I think one of the reasons uh, Frank took him on, you know, Nordin, uh, was because of his uh, experience from from big games. Uh, he w was a key figure at, at uh, Deportivo La Coruña when they had their uh, great period, and, and Nordin uh, alongside a lot of other good players at La Coruña. But but uh, like you said, uh, we needed and uh, the club needed uh, an experienced central defender to. to yeah, to to be the the boss in the back, but I think more or less Ledley he was already the big player anyway because of his performances. You know, he's not a outspoken person who who has to have a a big speech every time he says something. You know, he 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 uh, he's the boss with his game. And you brought it up during the show, so we have to very quickly ask you, Eric. You mentioned that you were disappointed to see Pochettino leave. Tell us. What has it been like from the outside seeing Spurs have that change of manager? We spoke about Jose Mourinho during the show. How you know we referenced to Spurs parking the bus. He's now Spurs' manager. Tell us what your thoughts are looking from the outside now of Jose Mourinho managing Tottenham. What did you think of Spurs changing manager? Seeing Pochettino leave, Mourinho come in. What's your thoughts on that? Is that going to work for Tottenham in the long term? Like you say, I watch it from the outside. I have no inside information, so. Uh, for me, uh, Jose Mourinho, he's he's going to go down as one of the most successful managers of all time in in the in European football with his track record of winning trophies. Uh, but for me, Maurizio Pochettino, he's a Spurs manager the way he wants to play football uh, and the way he developed the club. And I I think for me it's a pity he, he got sacked because. Uh, development is also struggling sometimes, you know, and going through phases where you have to just push on and, and go through things. And eventually, I think with a bigger wallet, you know, uh, spending money, maybe he could have uh, survived this period as well, you know. Uh, so so I, I, I miss Maurizio Pochettino, uh, but I, I also rate Jose Mourinho highly, obviously, yeah. He's not the first player we've had on, has he, John, to feel the same, Eric? No, it's a very sort of common theme we've had amongst our, our ex-pros we've had on this show. Um, you know, so, so time will tell. We're, we're fingers crossed that if football can resume, Tottenham obviously have got a lot of their, their key players back from injury, which they battled on without the likes of Harry Kane, Stephen Bergwijn, Hummin Son and Musa Sissoko. So hopefully when the football does get going again, we can see the Tottenham we all, you know, love to see the last couple of years. But we have to get, say a massive thank you, Eric, for giving us another hour away from talking about the current Tottenham of today and looking back at the time where you was at the club. So thank you ever so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure having you, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for having me. To Robbie Keane by Reed. Warnock's touch. Sees it spin away as fast as Eric Edmund. Edmund now from distance. Oh, sensational. He will never have hit one quite like that before. Eric Edmund, with his first Premiership goal for Spurs, has silenced Anfield. That is an absolutely astonishing strike here by Eric Edmund. It looked as if Keane and Reid had messed the corner up. Try to take it short, it lands at Edmund. I don't know, we're talking over 35 yards here, we must be. Pitched this left-footed, it is an absolutely sensational strike. Best goal I've seen from distance this season, absolutely no question about that. 
DJ, absolutely no chance whatsoever. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.